Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hengeli. Today, we are recapping the 2022-23 college basketball season. To provide us with a more comprehensive look at the sport, we have brought in Sporting News college basketball columnist Mike DeCourcy. Mike, Sam and I appreciate the time this morning. Oh, I'm I'm delighted to join you. Yeah, absolutely. So, as I mentioned in the intro, we'll start off, you know, provide us with your synopsis of the 2023 season. Were you surprised by some of the results at the end, you know, with UConn winning the national championship or some of the upsets that happened in the early uh, NCAA tournament? Well, I mean, I think that you're always surprised, but I wasn't surprised that this was a tumultuous tournament. I think that when we looked at the way the season was developing, it was pretty obvious that there were there was an absence of genuinely historically great teams. You look back at, at a year like 2015, when we had four teams that it, 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 if you had given me the field versus Wisconsin, Kentucky, Duke, Arizona, I would have put a lot of money, and I don't bet on college basketball, this is figurative, but I would have put a lot of money on one of those four winning the championship. They were they were historically great teams. It was just a question of which one would play well enough to win the championship uh, based on their their path. And, and once we got to the final four and three of them were still alive and Committee kind of messed that one up a little bit. They gave Villanova a very good but not great Villanova team a number one seed and sent Wisconsin out west to play Arizona. So they eliminated one of those great teams. Uh, And so it was going to be one of those three. It was going to be Wisconsin, Duke, or Kentucky. So this year, there was nothing like that. This year, there was it. It was a year in which there were teams that earned number one seeds because somebody's got to be a number one seed, and they earned conference championships because somebody's going to finish first. But there weren't any teams that cried out that they were in that conversation. If you went back, and we've done this from time to time, rank the greatest NCAA champions, this UConn team would not get in that conversation. They lost too many regular season games. And they they had that month in January where they were abysmal, really. I mean, they were close to it anyway. I, some of it was schedule related, but also they they allowed the schedule challenges to compound into team challenges that that they they started to doubt themselves and play less effectively and coach less effectively, and they wound up with a, a significant number of losses relative to championship status. With the fact that we had that now, the the challenge is at that point. Okay, which teams are going to be upset and when? And you know, I I, I really liked the Kansas team all year. I thought they had uh, great chemistry, get great spirit. But I told people, uh, I I do a regular appearance on a Kansas City radio station, and I was telling people in January, look, you're not winning that. With you can make the Final Four, take your shot, but you're not winning it. With the lineup you have, you don't have what it what you need to win the championship. You're not winning a championship. As much as I love KJ Adams and would take him on my team every day of the week, he's a wonderful college basketball player. But you don't win six games in a row in that tournament with a six seven center, no matter how good he is. 
he, even Wes Unsell didn't do that. Uh, so it, it, the last time we had one, uh, a, a team that won a championship with a six, seven center, Magic Johnson was his teammate. We don't have any Magic, so we haven't had any lately. It's been a while. Uh, so that was the case. And, and, and it was, you, you had to try to identify which teams. And, you know, I, I, at the time I was doing my bracket, I thought Alabama had shown that they could supersede the problems that they had, the, the, the issue, the off court issues and, and their impact on the team. And I'm not entirely sure that they didn't, uh, that it, it was really more technical basketball than it was that because they got guarded hard by, San Diego State, I was in the arena that night. They got guarded hard and they broke completely apart, including Brandon Miller. And so, I, I you know, I, that's one I whiffed on. I, I thought they would win the championship, but I did have them playing UConn. So I did see UConn as a legitimate threat to win the championship uh, because of the depth of ability that they had. I just thought that Alabama with a guy like Miller was going to be too difficult to beat. San Diego State took quick care of that for them, and there goes another upset. So I, I do think that the challenge was in identifying which ones would go down, and Kansas was an easy one to see. For me, Alabama was not. I thought Kansas would go deeper. I didn't think Arkansas would get them, but I knew that they were going to go out. Alabama, I thought, was good enough to win it, and they maybe were, but not playing the way they did when they faced a significant defensive team. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately for Kansas's sake, they did enter the NCAA tournament without Bill Self. I think that played a role. I don't know if they would have made the final four if Bill Self was coaching the team, but um, I and I think they got a very difficult bracket because they would have had UConn in the Sweet 16 anyway, had they beaten Arkansas. I'm not a betting man either, but you know, if uh, if Bill Self had coached that game against Arkansas, I think it would have been a different result, but. It, you know, it's here. It's 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 over with. But you you mentioned the difficult bracket. Let me let me address that real quickly. I do brackets for Fox Sports starting late December and taking it all the way through Selection Sunday. And I will say that this committee did not do a great job. This was not a banner year for the committee. And among the the really egregious decisions they made uh, was the the decision to place Kansas out west in that bracket. That was not a fair call. That was not an accurate call. I, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me now, but with north of 15 quad one wins and place them behind a team that played six difficult games all year, six, six difficult games Houston played and lost four of them. If they played six difficult games and won them all, okay, we're good. That's a one seed. That's a high one seed. That's a number one overall maybe. But they played six difficult games and lost two of them. That's a 667 winning percentage. Pretty good if you're playing 20 difficult games like Kansas did, but not when you're playing six. That was an awful decision. And it wasn't fair to the city of Kansas City, uh, which bid for that, hoping KU would be good enough. KU was good enough, and they didn't get them. And it certainly wasn't fair to the Jayhawks either to be not only shipped out west, but to, ship that, to be shipped out west and was what was probably the best West region in the history of the tournament, uh, in, ter in ter the expanded bracket, uh, because usually the West is the weakest region for the reason that teams, 
it's sort of like a last choice. Like you're Kansas. You don't want to be West. You want to be Midwest or maybe South because it's closer. Going all the way to Vegas, that's your last choice. And that's usually the way it works out that you wind up with a lot of last choices. Well, in this particular year, you shipped Kansas, whiffed on that. And then you had a great UCLA team that was your two. And then uh, and then uh, a terrific Gonzaga team that was certainly a strong three seed. And then you had UConn, which they shipped West as a as a four, which again was another bracket error because they were easily the best four. They they it wasn't, you know, they they probably should have been a three. They were easily the most accomplished four. So they made multiple bracket errors this year. And Kansas was one of the schools that paid most dearly for that. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree. And Sam and I were actually at the Midwest regional final between Miami and Texas. Miami made that crazy comeback. But, you know, a question that I was going to, I'm going to ask you now is, you know, the transfer portal and NIL has been a, obviously a big factor. I feel like it's maybe level the playing field for programs uh, for the mid majors and programs that haven't had a lot of success example, maybe Miami. Um, would you agree with that in the sense of those two, like, but the portal and the NIL has made it much more parity in the sport. I think it, I think they're that, that they are a factor in, in ways that maybe aren't being discussed because eventually, eventually as this works itself out, you'll see the power accrue to the schools that are most glamorous. Again, you'll see that again, but what you're seeing in addition to portal and NIL is the COVID year and and the difference that that makes that's not being examined as much or discussed as much because it's not, you know, we got to talk about COVID again. I mean, we don't really want to go back there if we don't have to. Uh, so the, the difference now is that because of that year, like Tiger Campbell is now at the Portsmouth Invitational. If he wants to play at UCLA another year, he can play at UCLA another year. And I don't know what the ultimate resolution will be if he does. But if he does, he'll have been a five-year starting point guard, and he'll be in his sixth year at UCLA. Now, he may just be ready to be done uh, with college. And 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 he spent five great years there, so who could blame him? But he, if he wants to play another year, he'll be a sixth-year college basketball player. Well... It's not something we've almost ever had before, and certainly not one with four years of starting experience uh, until these last several years because of the 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 COVID eligibility year. So I think that's the biggest difference that that uh, that we've seen in 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 that parity element. It's helped programs to be older than like a Kentucky uh, or a, a Kansas. I mean, Grady Dick comes in; he's eighteen years old, and he was terrific, but. Instead of being an 18-year-old playing against 22-year-olds and 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 in the outlier, maybe 23, we're now talking about Grady Dick being an 18, 18 19-year-old playing against 24 and 25-year-olds. So the difference between the two is much greater. But here's where this, this is the part that I think will persist uh, after the COVID year has cycled out. The part that will persist is depth. If you look at the teams that were eliminated from the NCAA tournament, it's not universal, but some of the better teams that were eliminated from the NCAA tournament. You look at uh, UCLA, down two starters, 
to due to injury. Houston, Marcus Sasser's playing on a messed up leg uh, from his injury in the American Championship Tournament. Uh, you're looking at Texas, which Dylan DeSue had become their best player, their most reliable player in the last month of the season. There was their best player through two rounds of the NCAAs. He gets injured. So many of these teams that were eliminated, uh, Duke loses a starter on the eve uh, of the second round game against Tennessee. So all what, what you have, the differential now, is that it used to be, and, and using going back to that 2015 season I cited, uh, you had a guy like Grayson Allen on the bench at Duke who was, when everything wasn't quite right for them to beat Wisconsin, they needed something more. And they brought Grayson in who had barely played that year. And he was able to come out and drive the basketball into the defense. Nobody at, at Wisconsin was comfortable guarding him. And it ends up being the differential in Duke getting another NCAA championship. You look on down the bench now when you lose Dylan DeSue and you look down the bench and there's good players there, but there's not another Dylan DeSue. There's not even anybody who can get you through the day. Uh, and that's that's the difference. That player, that ninth, tenth player who used to be waiting there to develop in your program and was waiting for his chance, he's not waiting anymore. He's leaving. He may leave at the semester break. You know, you may look and Grayson Allen's not there anymore because he said, I'm played six minutes so far or whatever the number was. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else and get an NIL deal and I'll start right away as soon as I'm eligible. I, I think that's the difference the, the, for the most part with the portal and, and immediate eligibility that that impacts now the, the power teams. They can have seven really good players and an eighth who might be who might wait one year, but that ninth and tenth guy that that the depth that you used to have in that sense just isn't there any longer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I would agree with a lot of those remarks. Um, a program that was on the cusp of potentially winning a national championship in 2022, North Carolina, they went on to miss the tournament this year. One of the most strangest seasons, a preseason number one team ended up missing the field. And then Caleb Love ended up transferring to Michigan. Baycott and R.J. Davis decided to return. But, you know, what do you make of the state of North Carolina right now and the state of Hubert Davis having such a high in his first year and then such a low in his second? Yeah, I, I mean, it was pretty obvious that they had dismal chemistry problems in that program in uh, 23. Uh, 2022 – uh, they wrestled around with it a little bit and eventually got themselves on a roll. Uh, in 23, they, their chemistry was bad from the jump and it persisted all the way to the end. They never really addressed it, which is a problem. If you've got chemistry issues, you have to try to do something about it. And the same guys started basically every game. 
So you weren't addressing the chemistry problems. And, and if you're the head coach, you do have to, when, when things aren't working, you have to do something different. And they may have made some strategic tweaks and such, but they never made any ad- adjustments, any obvious public adjustments to the, the significant issues they were having in chemistry. Uh, so that was problematic. And I think some of that may abate now with the, some of the moves that have been made in the offseason. Uh, but now that now they face a talent issue, do they have enough talent? They certainly have two terrific college basketball players in RJ and Armando. Those are they're really good players. But do they have enough around them? Uh, Pete Nance was not, uh, as it turned out, an adequate replacement for Brady Manick. Uh, he didn't play with as much confidence. He didn't play with as much fire and toughness. Uh, that was a problem for that team. They needed what they 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 got from a from a practical standpoint. Uh, Pete Nance seemed to fit what Brady Manick did. He's actually probably statistically a better shooter, but he didn't play with that same confidence uh, it, that uh, that Manick did. Um, I you know I I think one can one can say that it, it. I mean, you can look at just the numbers. I mean. Pete Nance leave and and Ryan Young leave Northwestern and Northwestern got better. I mean, they lost two guys to historically great programs and in the ACC and they got better. They they ended up finishing second in the Big Ten and uh, and winning a game in the NCAA tournament and and giving UCLA a rough go in the second round. They got better, and so I I, I think that says a lot right there. I would. I think that Hubert's got real challenges ahead of them. This is a very important offseason for him. He's got two really great pieces to work with from the start, and now he has to build a winning team around them. And I, I think he has to build, win, build a winning team around them. Uh, that in order for that program to flourish going forward, uh, they need to have a good year this year. That doesn't mean they got to be back in the championship game or whatever, but they need to be a uh, a significant ACC team, a team that's contending for the championship, whether that means first or fourth, first or fifth, at, as long as you're in the hunt and as long as you're relevant on the bracket, uh, they, I think that that's a, they need that in order to reestablish themselves as Carolina. This isn't the first time they've gone through this. It, it happened uh, after Dean retired in 97 uh, they struggled to recruit. They 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 had a very successful season immediately after Dean because Vince Carter and Anton Jameson were still there. Um, but then they started to struggle to recruit, and eventually, uh, it it really got them in the eight and twenty season uh, in two thousand one, I believe that was. So, uh, or maybe it was two thousand two. Uh, but they 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 need they need to avoid that that fall, that, that decline. And, and I think this year is really important relative to that. So uh, Mike, I want to go to the big 10 and talk about Purdue. Matt Painter has been fantastic for over a decade at Purdue. However, he has had some of the worst NCAA tournament losses in the past 10 years. Why has Purdue been victims to losing to double digit seeds? I think, I think part of it is, Part of it is that they are they are a team that is based on chemistry and flow and system. They they connect really well together, and then they get in the NCAA tournament. I always use the baseball analogy, 
And this really holds up, especially when you're playing against low double-digit seeds, seeds in the 13, 14, 15, 16 range. A lot of them are going to come at you throwing knuckleballs. You've been facing fastballs and sliders and had to fight against that all the way through the Big Ten season. And then you come into the NCAA tournament and you're facing a knuckleballer. It's a totally different thing. And they haven't reacted well to that. You go back to the North Texas game in 2021. North Texas, uh, McCaslin's a terrific coach. He had the uh, advantage of having played a significant big guy in the Western Kentucky final of Conference USA and came up with a with an idea that got them back in that game after Western had dominated much of the game, came up with an idea where he basically sandwiched the, the terrific Western Kentucky big guy with two defenders, one in front, one in back. It's something that uh, Tim Floyd did to Danny Fortson when I was covering Cincinnati Bearcats in 97. One in front, one in back. The one in front doesn't have to be that tall. He just has to be there. Uh, and then the one in the back obviously needs some size and strength to to keep the 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 big guy the, from Purdue from moving much. So they sandwiched Travion Williams, and what that means is someone on the perimeter is wide open, and they left that they left their shooters open. They dared them to take shots, and they didn't make them, and so they lose. And then they get in against St. Peter's, and again you're you're dealing with fastballs. You've developed this rotation where you play, basically, it's almost a two-platoon deal, but especially at the center spot. Travion Williams, Zach Eady. Travion Williams, Zach Eady. Or Zach Eady, Travion Williams, all the way through. One guy's fresh, then he's not. He gets replaced. They did that all the way through the season, and it was successful enough to get them to the Sweet 16. Now they're playing St. Peter's. To be honest with you, the St. Peter's game was not officiated well, and you've got multiple defenders basically hanging on Zach Eady anytime the ball comes near him. And he was completely ineffective in that game. He's a tremendous college basketball player, had a great sophomore season, was the national player of the year as a junior a year later, but he couldn't play in that game. And when Travion had a great stretch, first five minutes of the second half, he comes in and dominates and they get the lead and they're up about eight. And he's gassed because he's, partly because he's just carried them for, you know, five, six minutes. And also because he's used to playing five, six minutes and then being subbed for. So he's gassed. He's got to sit down. They put Zach back in. You can't do that. It, it, it wasn't working. It didn't work in the first three segments that he played. Why would it work now? Uh, they needed to go smaller because they weren't going to be at a size disadvantage if they went smaller. And they weren't going to be, and, and the size advantage wasn't helping them. They went back to Zach, lead's gone, game, you know, and the game flows to St. Peter's and they go home. And then this year, I, I, something I noticed in the Carolina-St. Peter's game, after watching Purdue do this, play St. Peter's with this great respect, Carolina said, nope, you're not playing today. Welcome to the Elite Eight, now go home. And they smashed him in five minutes and made it clear that St. Peter's charm was, was not working on them. That's something that Purdue needed to do in the first five minutes this year against Fairleigh Dickinson. Having been through what they'd been through, they needed to win that game in the first five minutes. Go out and just smash it down their throat 
make it clear who's the real team. Fairly Dickinson was going to compete because they didn't have anything to lose. So they're going to compete. So you have to make it clear to them that they, you know, com competing is cute, but you're not winning. They're, you're not good enough to be in this game. You can't handle Zach Eady. You can't handle the things we do. And they didn't do that. They played, they played with a sense of, man, what, what if we do this for the third year in a row? And there was you, it was obvious. I knew in five minutes that they were going to be that it was going to be a game in the final five. It, it it was obvious that they weren't playing with great confidence in that game. The next time they get in that, and if Zach Eady returns as most expect him to do, they're going to be in another game just like that. Whether it's against a 16 or a 15 or a 14, it's going to be one of those three, almost certainly. So it's going to be a similar game to that. So you have to go out there without with competitive arrogance, not necessarily that you don't think that this team's good enough to beat you, but with the idea that you're the team on the floor that earned the one seed or the two seed or the three seed, and you're going to show it in the first five to seven minutes of that game and make that team fear you and, and make that team worry, how bad is this going to be? Are we going to lose by 20 or 30? That's what you have to do that they haven't done in any of those three games. Yeah, absolutely. And I want, I want to talk about another team that – has struggled in the tournament in recent years and the, the Kentucky Wildcats. John Calipari's a lot of heat from the Kentucky fan base the last couple of years. His teams have regressed since the 38-1 and season in 2015. Do you think John Calipari is washed, or do you see him having a resurgence this season? Well, he's certainly not washed. I mean, in, in that time since – I mean, anybody's going to regress from 38-1, and right? I mean <laughs> – Gonzaga has regressed from 33 and one. I mean, but they also were in the elite eight this year. There's nowhere really to go, but down from 38 and one, but subsequent to that, you know, they had the terrific season in 17 where they lost on a buzzer beater 2019. And that was the elite eight 2019 elite eight. Uh, they lose in overtime by a point or two uh, 2020. They win the sec by three games, but no NCAA tournament that year to prove what you are capable of. Uh, and this pat, you know, and then and then even in the season where they lost to St. Peter's, they were they were I think twenty six and eight that year, second in the in the conference. This past year, they did struggle at times during the regular season, but they were playing pretty well by the end of the year, and they uh, beaten by the best player in the twenty twenty three NCAA tournament, uh, that being uh, Marquise Noel. I mean, he was the best player in the tournament this year. He wasn't the most outstanding player because his team lost in the Elite Eight, but they were, he was the best player in the tournament. And it, it, two things happened. One, Marquise was phenomenal, and they struggled to guard ball screens all year, and there you've got the, the, the player who's playing the best with ball screens of any player in the country. And two, they shot like three for a million from three-point range. I, I've said on a few Kentucky radio shows that if Antonio Reeves plays badly, just badly, they win the game against K-State. Instead, he was a disaster. I mean, his his shooting numbers, he, I think he was one for 10 from three by the end of the game, and the one was a meaningless three that happened at, well after K-State had made it clear they were going to win. So that's kind of where they are. They need, you know, they need better players. They're going to have better players next year 
uh, with the freshman class coming in. They've got three of the top four in the in the 2023 class and four of the top 10. Uh, they're going to have some players returning. Reeves is going to be back. Uh, Ugana, uh, their, their terrific uh, freshman shot blocker, is, is going to be back. He just announced uh, yesterday that he was going to return for his uh, sophomore season after initially entering the transfer portal. Uh, so they, they're going to have better players. That doesn't guarantee anything, but I don't think that they'll be playing. I don't think they'll be a six seed playing a three seed in 2024 i think they'll be you know maybe a three or higher playing against opponents that uh you know are aspiring are aspiring toward upsets i think they'll be a better team this year and and also you still have the question about oscar shibwe will he return for another year uh, that's you know you're talking about basically an automatic double double uh if he decides to return and i think there's still a good chance that happens I want to stay SCC. Uh, I want to talk about Alabama and Nate Oates. Um, Nate Oates and Alabama were one of the best teams this year. However, it came with some darkness, a failure of leadership. Is Nate Oates the new villain in college basketball? It, it, did you ask me if he's a villain? Uh, yes. I think the way Nate Oates handled, and I, but I shouldn't just single him out. I mean, he's certainly the face of this. But the entire University of Alabama, from the president's office, the administration, the athletic department, down to, to the basketball office, all three levels of that uh, of that program, of that university, failed in this case. They did not handle this well at any level. Uh, and Nate's obvi Nate obviously has the greatest direct control. He can, you know, he 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 decides what happens in his program, who's on the floor, who's not. And he certainly had the ability to say, I know you're not been charged with anything, but what but that night is not acceptable for a University of Alabama player. Here's the punishment. And I've never advocated for him not playing again based on the stats, based on the uh based on the uh the facts that we know. I've never called for that. Based on the facts we know, I just I, what my position has always been is I don't know what the appropriate number of games is for what occurred relative to him on that night. I know it's not nothing. That's my answer. I know it's not zero. I know that you don't miss zero games. There should have been some punishment. I was covering Louisville. Uh, the Louisville South region site when they arrived and that until they, until they were beaten by San Diego state, that was the overarching storyline that dominated the tournament, uh, dominated that site as well. And in particular, and that to me could have been, they could have taken that away from, uh, they, they could have made it so that that was not what everyone was talking about when they arrived in Louisville. Let's put it that way. It was under their control. What happened on that night was not. And I'm not holding the University of Alabama, the athletic department or the basketball office responsible for what happened on that night. But their reaction to that night was totally under their control. And their reaction was insufficient at all three levels. And obviously, uh, Nate Oates is the face of that, the most obvious person 
making decisions in that circumstance. Absolutely. So I got uh, one more question for you. Uh, you talked about um, about how the Big 12 was the best conference in college basketball all year, one of the greatest conferences since, I believe, the 1990. Um, but the Big 12 gets a Final Four. Um, what happened to the Big 12 in the tournament, and uh, how should we remember this year Big 12? Well, I think what happened, you know, why didn't they get a team to the to the final? I mentioned before the injury to Dylan DeSue. I think if DeSue doesn't get injured, they most likely defeat Miami. And there is a tournament representative uh, representative uh, from the Big 12 in the final four. Uh, I, I think one of the things, though, that happens in leagues like this, and this has been historically true. The teams that are in the deepest leagues and in my my belief, my assessment is that the Big 12 was the deepest college basketball league ever. Not the greatest. Uh, they didn't have, like, they didn't, like, the 85 Big East had uh, Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing and Eddie Pinckney, and they had three teams in the Final Four. I mean, that's greatness. It wasn't that. But that league also had poor teams in twenty in 1985. They had teams for the for the Patrick Ewings and, and Chris Mullins to look at and say, oh man, we can beat them one hand tied behind our backs. Uh, we don't have to go tonight. We'll beat them anyway. We're at home. We're, we'll win the game by, we'll, you know, we'll win this game probably by double figures, but we don't really have to break a sweat. Or we can break a sweat for, for half a game and then let the uh, second string take care of it or whatever. Um, the Big 12 had no games like that. Zero, none. Every game that you had to play or you were getting beaten especially on the road. It, it was a really, it was a nearly impossible league to find, uh, to be able to take a breath. And I think that's hard on teams. I don't think, I've been telling people for years, the idea of being battle tested is the most overrated element of March. Battle tested means you're tired, you're weary. You probably had to, as I talked about with Purdue, you've been facing fastballs and sliders all year long. And you're not ready for anybody throwing knuckleballs. You're not ready for it because everybody in your league has had to have the best fastball and the best slider in order to just survive or thrive at the level that your conference permits. Technically, the Big 12 doesn't fit into this category because it has only 10 members. But leagues that have gotten eight or more members into the NCAA tournament. And that that never happened before 2011, but since 2011, there have been six or seven leagues that have done it, individual seasons, not different leagues. The Big Ten's done it three times. The ACC's done it twice. The Big East has done it a few times. Those leagues no, don't do well in the NCAA tournament. They win at a lower rate. They get upset at a higher rate. They don't advance to the Sweet 16 at, at the rate you'd expect. They don't hold their seeds. Traditionally, that's what been what's happened. Now, there have been two champions that have come out of those such leagues, Carolina, 17, uh, ACC, and UConn, 11, Big East. But I think it's almost instructive that UConn came out of a season in that Big East that were 9-9 nine and nine, uh, and won the championship, while the higher-ranked teams in that league all lost. Pitt lost in the second round. I think Syracuse lost early that year. Uh, they were one of the higher seeds. That's to me that, that that's what the Big 12 was about this year was they beat each other up 
when they got in the tournament, they were banged up. They were they were not whole in, in, in a lot of cases, and they didn't perform as well. I, I wasn't surprised by that. I've seen it happen too many times. I wasn't surprised. You know, the big the Big Ten got a lot of criticism for only advancing, I think, one team to the Sweet 16. When in reality, all but two of their members, all, all but two of the representatives were seated to lose. We seed you to lose and then we're mad at you for losing. That doesn't seem very right. But that's kind of what happened, I think, to the Big 12 Conference. The fact that they didn't do great in March doesn't change the fact that they were clearly the best league in college basketball this year. Yeah, sometimes I think that the NCAA, it can like be kind of deceiving to like tell you how a season went for a team. Like you can like dominate all regular season, but sometimes the people just look at the NCAA tournament and don't really look at the full body of work. I do think the Big 12 was the best conference in college basketball this year, hands down. But here's what here's one of the things that happens. There are people like us that live in this sport from September 25th to April 10th. And there are people yeah. who and, and maybe beyond when you consider recruiting and transfer recruiting, et cetera. And then there are people who show up on March 10th and then they want to tell everybody, well, this is how it works. This is how it goes. This is good. This is not. I'm not listening to them. Where were you when Oklahoma was playing uh, Oklahoma State on January 25th? What were you doing? No, I was watching an NBA game. Well, I'm not interested in your opinion then. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that. That's a lot of what happens relative to this. Uh, the, the reality is that the, the Big 12 had no they didn't only have no bad teams. They didn't have any, they had no just okay teams. Every team in that league was really good. And they just, there wasn't enough room for all 10 of them in the tournament as, as I knew there wouldn't be. I thought there might be room for eight. It didn't turn out that way because Oak state didn't quite get the wins they needed at the end, but they still had 70% of their, of their membership in the field. That's a, that's a rare performance. It's rare to get 70%. They didn't break the record as they had the chance, but they they are one of the few ever to get 70% of their membership into the field. It's still an accomplishment, and they still were clearly the best league in college basketball this year. Absolutely. Yep, and you made a good point about the people who you know would follow the, the, college, the sport of college basketball in March and then the people who follow it back in November. And that's just so the the weirdness of this NCAA tournament. I don't think the ACC was a good conference at all this year, but they got a team in Miami who was a five seed that made the final four. And that can be deceiving in a way like people could say, well, the ACC was a great conference. I don't think it was this year, but you know, got a team in. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's how it happened. That happens sometimes. They also had their tournament champion lose in the second round. Uh, and their uh, and their one of their co regular season champions lose to a 14 seed. You've got to take it all into account. Pitt played very well. They played great. Uh, they they beat uh, Mississippi State, uh, and then made and then they advanced uh, through their six seed Iowa State into the second round. They played great. Miami played great. Uh, others did not. Uh, Duke didn't play well in the Tennessee game at all. Then again, I talked about the injury. Uh, Virginia didn't play well and didn't handle pressure. How, do, how does Virginia not 
not handle no pressure when the guy who didn't handle it was has a national championship ring on his hand. Mm-hmm. Stuff happens in this tournament. It's a it's a wild sporting event. It's why we love it. Uh, but I I don't think that you can draw the conclusions from it that many want to draw. Right. Absolutely. So before we let you go, um, provide us just maybe what you're looking forward to in this off season, some names from the transfer portal that you would be, you know, curious to see go to a certain school. Well, I am curious about where Ryan Nemhard goes now. I was really surprised that guys leaving because they're not playing or guys leaving because they're on unsuccessful teams. That never surprises me. I mean, you want a chance. Uh, Temple lost a lot of their players. They 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 had a coaching change. They lost multiple players off a decent team because they want to get a chance to play. You know, they've got one of them went to Houston. Well, you're going from 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 one of the good to to average teams in your league to what had been the clear best team in your league, uh, a team that's made uh, the Sweet Sixteen or better three years in a row now. That makes sense. But Nemhard is coming off a season where they were one foul away, his foul, his alleged foul uh, from making the final four. And everybody can be back. I don't know yet what will happen. We, I don't think we'll know ultimately for a little while what uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner will do. You've got Arthur Kaluma and Trey Alexander can go through the draft process if they wish. I think they'll all be back. Uh, but Baylor Shireman has an extra year if he wants it. I don't think he'll take it, but he could. And if he doesn't, uh, Mike Miller's son is ready to take that spot. So there's a lot there. And he's the point guard of all that. And yet he checks out. That, that's, that surprised me. So I'm very curious to see what's a better spot than that. I don't, I, you're, you're, you're leaving a top 10 team with multiple star players in place to help make you look better as a point guard. I'm very curious to find out what's a better situation than that. There may be, uh, maybe for him. Um, but uh, I, I I will be curious to see where he winds up. I, I will be curious to see what Oscar Shibwe does relative to the draft. I'll be curious to see, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, Tiger Campbell. It seems like the door is closed, but a year ago, I can't remember now. Someone mentioned last night the player who was in the who 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 excuse me who played in the Portsmouth Invitational and wound up playing another year of college basketball anyway. So uh, there are lots of different things that still can happen. Uh, and I, I'm curious to see what Michigan State does. Whether they have any ambitions to get another big, you know, another scorer, another another guy who can who can really make shots, perhaps, maybe, maybe not. Uh, and Purdue, I think, is, is another interesting team. What will, you know, what will Zach Eady do? I think Zach got a little frustrated with everybody telling him he's coming back. I think he wants to make that decision himself. I won't be surprised if he goes through the process. And I'm a big believer. I've said this many times. I'm a big believer in the process as being additive to a player's experience. Uh, whether you get to Portsmouth or whether you uh, get to the Combine, uh, even the G League element of the combine, I think it's a positive experience all around. Uh, so I'll be curious to see who goes through that and winds up back in college. There were a lot of guys who played in this year's NCAA tournament that I saw up in Chicago last year at the combine. 
Baylor Shireman, Traquavion Smith, those guys were both uh, at the combine last year. There were several others. Uh, so we'll, I'm sure we'll have more guys like that that we'll know about come June. Yeah, absolutely. I know you're obviously very popular on Sporting News, but how can people read your stuff? Sorry, find you on uh, social media. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at TSN Mike. Uh, that's the easiest place to find me at TSN Mike. I'm still verified. I'm not sure how long that's going to last, but I'm still verified. Uh, I, I I I went. Uh, gosh, I went like more than ten years not being verified. Like I know who I am. Um, I someone said that it'll help. You know, I think Twitter at the time said it'll help grow your audience. Well, didn't help that much. Uh, my numbers didn't change that much. So if they take my check away, it's not going to change who I am. Uh, so I'm still on Twitter at TSN Mike. You can go to sportingnews.com uh, as well. We're going to do a, a lot of talk about college hoops in the off season. I'm sure I'll have some NFL stuff. And I know that I'll be doing a lot with the women's world cup come July as well. So lots to, lots to follow in the off season until we start hooping again next November. Check out Mike's stuff. He, I love his uh, articles and, um, he has a lot of great insight on uh, college basketball, soccer, and many more. Yeah, just like what Sam said. So, Mike, we really appreciate the time uh, for you coming on today. Um, it was a it was a blast talking about college basketball. Well, I enjoyed it too, guys. Thanks for having me on, and and good luck with the uh, with the podcast. Uh, I'll be listening. Thanks. For those who are listening to our show for the first time, all our past and future episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Sports Mecca.